Due to technological challenges beyond our control, Becky Cunningham could not be on the show this evening. So instead, Scott will be reading her lines. We sincerely apologize in advance for any excruciating mental damage caused. RP Gamer and its affiliates are not liable for any permanent injuries incurred by listening to the following. Thank you. Are you sure we have to cross the bridge? I've never heard good things about it. Somehow I got across it once, and I can do it again. Here goes. Stop! Who would cross the bridge of death must answer me these questions three. Here, the other side, he see. Yeah, he's going first. He usually does. What is your name? I actually don't know. Great. Is this going to break every bone in my body for the 50th time? If you don't mind, let's just wait a little while. He's come back from worse than this. It's pretty messy, though. Hmm. This is a fast. Oh, well. What is your quest? To find my identity and mortality. What is so bad about immortality? You know, that's a really good question. You're a good guy and all, but think of all the things your immortality got for you, and you're just gonna throw it all away. Oh yeah? Aside from wrecking my mind, what's it done, huh? Let you meet all of us? Given you unparalleled insights into the human condition? Helped you see and do more than you, anyone else could? Allowed you to conquer things mortals cannot? Run a scream on the dustmen every time they collect your corpse? Let you taste every mushroom you find? Stopped mob threats when you can't pay your debt from mattering? Well, okay, but aside from all those things, what's being immortal gotten me, huh? It's nothing but trouble. Strap on your swords, ready your spells. You're about to enter the heart of a dungeon filled with computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up through yesteryear. To get you through this maze that's dripping with danger, we've gathered the best men and women from RP Gamer to watch your back. Some of you have never entered this area before. You're in for quite a fight. For others, this return visit can only be described as an RPG backtrack. And here are the party leaders for this expedition, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack. We are up to number 6060, Taste the Torment. We're going to be talking about a certain D&D game about a guy who can't die. That's right, we are talking about Planescape Torment. And to help me with all of the leather and chains and whips necessary to talk about Planescape Torment is my good friend, my right-hand man, my left-hand man, my foot, my... I don't know. Mr. Mike Mickey. And so you see that evil will always triumph because good is dumb. Indeed. And back for her 18th episode of RPG Backtrack, Miss Becky Cunningham. Yo. And then there's this other guy who hates my guts. I don't know why he's on the show. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we, we love, we all love you best, Phil. Mr. All do. Mr. Scott Wakamater, who's not, um, who has not invited me to be his friend on Steam, as I discovered today. Therefore, he must hate my guts. I started using Steam a week ago. Excuses. I bet you got like the whole staff on there except for me. I have Becky on there because there she wanted very much to give me a copy of Bastion. 
you know? Which is pretty darn sweet. Hey, I wanted to give you a game, but I saw you weren't on there. I saw that you don't like me. But Becky's on there! She wants a copy Borgs Must Die. I tried to give it to her, but she won't take it. Cause she doesn't want me, but she says she wants it. <laughs> I only want it from Gabe, not from you. Oh, oh, it has to come from somebody else. Oh, so you both hate me. Oh. oh no, see, terrible. you don't understand. You are Phil, but you are not the Newell. Not the who? Gabe Mike Newell. Newell? He's, 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 the, he's the guy in charge of Steam, in charge of Valve, you know. Oh, huh. So, in other words, you have a crush on him and Kate guts. I understand. That's cool. I mean, no, he no, is no. a CEO and the, everything. The, the purpose of all Steam users is to stir, serve the Newell. <laughs> that's why there's so many sales. You can't <sighs> help but serve the Newell. See, no, see, that's why they keep giving you free stuff for Team Fortress. is so that you will go to Steam and see the sales and buy the things so that you might serve the Newell better. <laughs> I've given a lot of money to this man. That's all I know. <laughs> see, Half-Life... Half-Life uh, 2 Episode 3 never has to come out because Steam has uh, complete because Valve has stopped almost entirely stopped being a video game company and become the most monstrously e incredible doom bringing video game retailer ever. Uh, and they're doing a good job of it. If you check out my uh, Steam uh, profile, I think I'm under JC Servant there. Uh, I've only got like 293 games or something like that. It's a sickness. They've got me addicted to Steam sales. It's hard to say no to good games that are three dollars, four dollars. Whoa, times two hundred ninety-three. That's over a thousand bucks. Dang it! And that is why you serve the Newell. I know. I serve him. I worship at his altar. We gotta get Minky addicted to this stuff. Minky, do you have Steam yet? I don't remember it, so probably not. Ah. Oh. I'm going to send Minky like a free uh, game through Steam so he'll have to download the client and then every time his computer boots up it'll flash new uh, daily sale 75% off and Minky will become addicted too. Yeah. It doesn't always work. I tried to gift my dad a copy of Death Spank a year ago and it's still not redeemed. Still not redeemed. Yeah. I got a list <laughs> of all these. So well, I'm like, hey dad, you want to play that game I sent you? And he's like, oh yeah, I should do that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, it took my, it took my dad a good Boy, almost about the same amount of time to get into StarCraft 2 when I sent it to him. Because he played StarCraft 1, so I figured he'd like StarCraft 2, but, you know, kind of sat on there on the shelf. I was like, oh, I'm going to get to it. I'm like, you're not working, Dad. What else are you doing? Oh, you know, I was watching a football game the other day. <laughs> I know what my dad is doing. only playing. on once a week. I know. That's what I said. And you argue with me? No, sir. <laughs> you know, you can't win. No. My dad just plays Microsoft Train Simulator all day long. <laughs> you know, oh. that's his retirement. My dad plays drums in real bands. Uh, nice. The fact that I spent all that money on StarCraft for a copy for my old man and that he would not play it tormented me to no end. And speaking of torment, we're going to take – see like that segue there? Did you like that? That was awesome. Yeah, I, I, I saw that coming. That uh, was good. Okay, cool. Speaking of torment, we're going to take a break, let you listen to some tormentuous music. Is that the good word? Tormenting music? Torment. Torturous. torturous. There you go. My editor of the wife is sitting next to me. Some torturous music. We'll be right back. To You're going to play Endless Love? Please don't. No one deserves to hear that. Endless Love. Hold on. Let me look at that. All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> to talk about Planescape Dormant. 
tonight we're talking about Planescape Torment, a computer role-playing game developed for Windows, like Windows 95, by Black Isle Studio, released on December 12, 1999 by Interplay Entertainment. It takes place on Planescape. It's an AD&D fantasy campaign setting that everyone should go and absolutely drop what they're doing and go play. This was done with a modified version of the Infinity Engine, which is also used for a much more popular game that most people have played called Baldur's Gate. Which will, so, um, and this is rated T for teen. It, it, now, now, not everybody has a computer that can handle this game because it does require a 200 megahertz computer with 32 megabytes of RAM Ooh. and a four-speed four CD-ROM CD and DirectX 6.1. And let us not forget about the 650 megabytes of available hard drive space. So you may have to upgrade to play this game. That's true. All the Windows 98 users out there, they may need to invest in something new. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in all seriousness, Mr. Minky can attest to uh, the challenges of actually trying to play this on a modern computer. So, well, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, a good six months ago or so, I found Planescape Torment for sale uh, at three bucks in a thrift shop. I picked it up because it seemed like a good deal, and it was. And then a good month ago, I tried to play it. I stuck the disc into my drive. It registered, and it took me to the installation screen, and I hit install. The installation screen vanished, and nothing happened. I repeated this a good four or five times before I finally realized this isn't working. And that was when I asked Phil for some help, and he kindly supplied me with the means to play it by other means than discs that refuse to work on what am I what have I got? Seven? Yeah, it's Windows seven. I can't remember whether I have Vista or seven, and I probably would have remembered that instantly if I had Vista anymore. Uh and then I sold the four disc original release of the game to somebody in Russia for twelve bucks, which made me a slight profit, and hopefully he enjoys it. <laughs> Because <laughs> nice. he's probably running Windows 98, right? <laughs> yeah. No assumptions about what the Russians do. We hardly recommend for our listening audience, let's just get this out of the way now, because after we tell you all the wondrous things about Planescape Tournament, we know you're going to want to drop everything that you're doing. We know you're going to just want to throw those Skyrim discs out the window and rush and play this game right away. How can you do that? On a newer system, well, it's easy. Go to GOG.com and download it. It is $10, well worth the price, $9.99 or something like that. So, um, and, and, it, and it works on newer machines. They run it through a DOSBox emulator of some sort, and it somehow magically works in the newer versions of Windows. At least my friends and myself who have played it using the GOG version have been able to do so without any challenges. So, with all that, well, I, I should mention, I should mention that if you if you are a kind of person who likes to own discs, Atari and Wizards of the Coast did just recently settle their legal hash. So, just this month, they did issue a box set of all of the Infinity Engine games with all their various expansions for twenty bucks. Yeah. So, if you want to go that way, you've already listened to our Baldur's Gate show. Go nuts! And, and I really want to go. Nuts with the Infinity Engine. Go for it. Do you know? Do you know for a, a fact on that release that they also um, made sure that they, you know, patch or use some sort of emulation or something included to make sure it could run on newer I, environments? I do believe it is patched for seven. I can double check that while we're talking. 
that would be a good thing. Yeah, and they probably is. I can't imagine them doing a re-release and not addressing that, but there's a teeny tiny chance. I remember buying a re-release of Alpha Centauri, uh, Sid Meier game. Awesome stuff. I love that game. Unfortunately, they did not patch it in the re-release. Thankfully, I was able to find a uh, patch online and get that taken care of, but occasionally the re-releases don't, but for the most part they do, especially in today's day and age since Windows 7 is, is a completely foreign environment to even uh, Windows 2000 games for the most part, so uh, definitely to 98. Is it thornier than Vista? No, it's not that it's thor. It's actually a it's it's actually a very stable environment, especially compared to the original Vista that was out. Vista Vista is now a, a decent operating system. Now they've patched it to death. Windows Seven is another half step in the right direction. It basically is the Vista with all the patches already included right in the source code to begin with. So it's going to run a lot leaner and smoother since it isn't uh, you know a patch boat. It was made correctly to begin with. Um, you know, plus some other enhancements that make it easy to use. My wife uses um, Windows 7, and she really hasn't had any challenges. There was one old game uh, that I couldn't get to work originally, and then I found the compatibility mode button. I think we paid a little extra for the, I forget which edition it was, that included better compatibility, and uh, running that old program in the compatibility mode worked well. Uh, But yeah, with Windows 7, you're probably going to take a chance on uh, your older games uh, not working quite as often as they would in, say, let's let's say XP. I, I use Windows XP on my rig because I like maximum compatibility. Um, but eventually, if you want to do DirectX 10 or above, you're going to need to upgrade to the newest Windows system. And and it's an it's a good system. I like it. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem with the yep, older okay, I did according to Atari's website, they are patched for uh, XP Vista and seven. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's 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 actually not built on top of DOS like just about every other Windows system. They finally got rid of DOS, so that's why some of the old games will have trouble if you don't know how to work Voodoo Magic. Right, which is why GOG is nice because GOG works the Voodoo Magic for you. Yeah, and DOS Those crazy Polish men who know they're crazy Voodoo. Yeah, and DOS boxes help help me make a lot of old games uh, work. Anyways, the DOS boxes is a pretty good. Uh, emulation program or whatnot that allows you to, to do DOS environments on newer machines, but GOG takes it one step further for you because it, it automatically implements all the necessary command codes and settings and just makes those old games work on your computer. Well worth the 6 or $10 for the busier people out there, um, even if you already have the disc. Would you? Well, they, they also do a good job of throwing in bonuses to really make it worth your while. Yeah. So if you do get this off GOG, you are getting the full soundtrack. And I think a book of some sort. Yeah, and that's really, really cool. A lot of times you buy that stuff off of uh, eBay and you may only get the disc or the book may not be in a great condition. You're going to get the PDF. A lot of times you get the soundtrack. A lot of times you get artwork. I've just got tons of GOG games and folders full of all these bonus things. And it's really cool throwing uh, a lot of that music onto an MP3 player and just listening to some of this uh, video game music. Some of it's really good. But we digress. Let us focus back on our... On our we topic really need to work out a deal where GOG just gives us they like should. 10 bucks every time we do a PC episode. Yeah, they absolutely positively should because we're always plugging them. Hmm. 
So, uh, okay, plane, uh, so, uh, I mean, uh, the, uh, yeah, <laughs> Planescape Torment is a slightly age game, and you're going to have to, you know, understand that going into it, it's like playing Baldur's Gate 1, you're going to be stuck in this 640 by 480 resolution or something along those lines, um, and uh, so, yeah, you're not going to be getting super high-end graphics, Um uh, but but this is a really really great game that you should play anyways. And Mr. Minky, why don't you start off by explaining why that is by talking about the story? All right. Well, you begin as a man in a mortuary. You saw yourself being wheeled in there in a cinematic that yeah, I guess it looks okay for 1999. I I'm not a scholar of 1999 graphics really, and. Waking up in a mortuary because you were, in fact, dead when you were wheeled in there is by itself unusual. But you have a floating skull nearby talking to you, telling you things, and reading the many, many tattoos on your back, which form a couple of paragraphs worth of text. So those obviously took some effort and quite a bit of pain to carve into your hide. And those tattoos tell you, well, there's a man named Farad you need to go find, and there's a journal you need to track down. Which is good, because... In addition to being a guy who woke up in a mortuary, you kind of lost your memory, which makes it kind of imperative that you would want to go find out exactly who you are, where you came from, what you're doing. That's the beginning. What you learn from there. you're blue. (laughs) Well, you just... Gray blue. you You know, Becky, if you died as many times as the nameless one has, maybe you'd turn blue too. I don't know. It might be endemic to... Hundreds upon hundreds of, or if not thousands upon thousands of deaths. I'm just saying, you're kind of the cookie monster on steroids. Yeah, but, well, you never even find out what exactly you were before you died umpteen billion times. So maybe blue was normal. (laughs) Yeah, you learned that you did a lot of things in your past lives, a lot of things. But what were you at the beginning? That's an excellent question, and I don't remember it ever being specifically answered you learn a lot of things about yourself you learn that you've changed a lot over the centuries but you learned that you 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 were not always a very nice guy (laughs) sometimes you were sometimes you weren't sometimes you were completely insane (laughs) okay i'll just continue then yeah As, as you go along in your in your quest to uncover information about yourself you do eventually meet this man farad who sends you on your way down into an undead city populated mostly by skeletons and zombies. And you meet some other people. You meet Dakon, who is a Githzerai and swore himself to serve you in a previous life of yours. And since the reason he swore himself to serve you has not yet expired, he does it again. You meet, you learn more about your floating skull companion named Mort, who is quite amusing. Honestly, he's very comedic and, Kind of handy to have around because skulls are hard to hit. And then you will meet Anna, the adopted daughter of Farad, who is supposed to guide your path to... I don't remember exactly where she's supposed to guide you, but she joins you. You will eventually meet Fall from Grace, the succubus with... Well, apparently, if we had in-game artwork that matched the description, she would be one of the most vivacious things you've ever seen in your life. And as for yourself, you learn so much about yourself. You learn that once upon a time, for just for an example, in order to 
obscure the information you were about to conceal from any possible prying eyes except your own. You learned a language that only one other person in the world knows, killed that man, and then encrypted your journal in a dodecahedron with that language. It was such a lovely thing to, to learn. And that's just a sample of the kind of person you once were. Other people you once were included the guy who found Dakon and swore him to service because it, was, it seemed a practical thing to do. He was about to die after 30 days of no water, I believe it was. And you can... You had a really cool sword. Exactly. Possibly world ending. And you learn about how you found Mort in the first place, which was in a gigantic pillar of skulls, which you will eventually find late in the game in this life. And... Scott, take it from here. I've been yammering for a little while. Okay, so, um, let's see. Well, the whole, eventually, you as you wander through uh, the city of Sigil that makes up most of Planescape, uh, you find yourself bumping into a bunch of new characters, and as you encounter new characters, wandering through mazes set up uh, by the Lady of Pain to punish people who displease her, you come across a... Uh, a night hag called uh, Ravel Puzzlewell, who had caused your immortality just so she could answer, just so you could answer her riddle, what can change the nature of a man? So you've been set on this cycle to try and solve a riddle. It's kind of the question that drives a lot of the plot. And Ravel is, you hear a lot about her, mostly from terrified people who don't want to hear anything about her because they fear that she might just come here, there and uh, rip them to shreds in the night or something. She's got quite the mystique about her. Night hags are kind of hardcore that way. <laughs> they are. Anybody who would actually tick off the Lady of Pain enough to the point where she had to get banished into her own personal maze for what she did. Well, yeah. that's a person you want to take seriously. Mm-hmm. The Lady of Pain is the ruler of Sigil, by the way. Yeah, who I don't think you ever actually meet in the game, but if you do piss her off enough, and there are ways to do that, then you too can be exiled into your own maze. I I forbore from doing that just because I didn't feel like wandering around in my own personal maze, which went on for a while. Like, the mazes are enough trouble to get the optional characters. Being forced to do it by your own actions is is worse. (laughs) I never, I had a fac. And I never managed to get the optional character in the, the, the Modron character in his maze. Oh, see, that that's a shame because... I, I know, I've been told. Modron <laughs> well, the Modron is probably <laughs> the awesomest thing in here aside from Mort. Yeah, he's voiced by Dan Castellanata and he doesn't sound anything like Homer. So unless you knew that going in, you wouldn't recognize his voice. And he says some funny things. And just going through the maze is pretty funny because you run into different drones at whatever level you set the difficulty of the maze to at at the default easy level you run into things that say i'm a light combat construct i currently feature poor combat abilities low intelligence and a feeble weapon that i use with little skill and then when you set it to hard which is the only way that you can find no drum and kill the evil wizard at the center of the maze you find these things i am a heavy combat drone I feature above-average combat abilities, superior intelligence, and competent weapon skills. As a bonus, I have been imbued with a bad attitude. <laughs> but yes, uh, yes, uh, Nordrom, Nordom is 
a uh, insane Mordron, which is a uh, sort of helpless peon from the Clockwork Valhalla of Mechanus, which is the plane that is composed entirely of order and logic. And I guess he got too close to Limbo one day, got all messed up, went crazy, and if you pick him up, he's he dual-wields crossbows, which makes him awesome. Yeah, he's the only ranged character in the game, at least unless you count magic, which you can't really because magic usually demands that you get close to the enemy in order to use it. Who would like to talk more about the characters in detail? Well, um, some of the main characters, I think one of my favorite was, was Anna. She's the half... I think she's half tiefling. Tieflings uh, are kind of like demony things. Yeah, tieflings are basically some form of you've got some sort of demonic background. Usually, you usually write it off as uh, grandpa banged a succubus sort of deal. <laughs> yeah, that that's the typical background of tiefling. <laughs> but basically, I mean, she's a, she's a thief, and she has an awesome sort of Cockneyish accent and a okay, bad attitude, and so she has a big. Well, it's, it's not actually Cockney. It's a very excellent recreation of uh, Planescape, Planescape slang, which uses Cockney rhyming slang um, and Victorian thieves cant, along with a lot of construction, constructed idioms that aren't just <laughs> find and replace for other existing idioms. Well, and, I did say Cockney-ish. Yeah. <laughs> and the person voicing her is Sheena Easton, of all people. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Well, anyway, um, and she's got a. It turns out she's got a big crush on the nameless one. I don't remember. Did he do anything to her in her previous lives? He he did no, bad things to a lot of the party. No, she was new to the party. Yeah. Okay. So she. So that's probably why she had a crush on him because he didn't do anything bad to her in a previous life. <laughs> um, well, if you, if you tread the 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 lawful good path in this game, then you could easily see why she'd fall for him here. Or you could tread the the chaotic evil path. I don't know. I didn't do that very much but you can i i I think i was probably chaotic good because i always trend that way anyway (laughs) so so she's pretty cool she's fun morte is great um he specializes in in insults so uh (laughs) sorry and biting people (laughs) and biting people yes those are his two combat abilities he can insult people which is very useful against mages um and, and he can bite people um, he's also, he's got some great little dialogues every once in a while. He'll just take over the dialogue when he, when he decides it's more useful for him to talk. So there's, there's one place in, in Sigil where you have a run in with a prostitute and Morte just takes over and they just have this epic level insult battle. That's pretty awesome. Oh yeah. That's in the, the brothel of, uh, intellectual satiation or whatever it was where you find the, the, the brothel of sating intellectual lusts i looked it up go. to make sure i remembered what it was it's it's fall from grace's brothel which um in which men go to have um phil- in-depth philosophical conversations with lovely young ladies instead of sex and it makes tons of money yes everyone's got their kink man <laughs> and mort, mort is also voiced by rob paulson who voiced yakko in animaniacs and a lot of other characters and he's very funny and I wrote down a quote that I particularly enjoyed when you're about to get fall from grace in your team. Mort says, I'm all for the succubus coming with us. The powers know you're about as fun as passing a caltrop through your bowels. <laughs> with regard to Anna. Because he's been, he's been hitting on her the whole game and she never gives him anything. Well, he is kind of a skull. He is, and yet he's really game. Every time you go talk to a prostitute, Mort seems really happy that you're doing that and really game to try something with her. Well, he was in hell for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) 
And you can even and you can even ask him, Mort, what exactly are you going to do here? You're just a skull. That doesn't slow him down. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, so then there's um there's the the Gitsurai who he's one of those sort of lawful, super lawful dudes. And he's okay, he's you have some... Sorry? He is a monk man. He yes. has monk things. But you can you can open up some interesting uh, dialogue options with him if you keep talking to him. Um, there's also a uh, I can't remember his name Ignis or something. There's yeah. a dude who's literally burning alive and he's kind of crazy and very very angry. And I did not get him because I missed the the item uh, that allows you to douse him just long enough to get him out of the the bar of the flaming corpse. I'm not getting that right. The what smoldering something. corpse. He there was basically go. he was basically the main attraction. <laughs> he wasn't real happy about it. <laughs> Once again, I, got, I ended up picking him up. He he was he was kind of amusing. If you could keep him under wraps, if you were trying if you're trying to do a good playthrough, you wanted to try to keep him under wraps. <laughs> and then you find out why he's on fire. Is it your fault? I forget. <laughs> yeah, it's your fault. Yeah, I figured it was your fault. <laughs> My husband's contributing now. He says yes. <laughs> Oh, and Dakon is voiced by, of all people, Mitch Pileggi, who I know mostly from X-Files, but he sounds really different here. Kudos for him. And then, yes, Fall from Grace, we mentioned her. She's a succubus with a heart of gold. So that's voiced it. Voiced by Jen Hale. Yep. Who we've never, we've never heard her before no, <laughs> in no. any game she, at all. She, she's never in video games or popular there, cartoons, ever. Yes, I like that her name is Fall from Grace, not because she's fallen from grace, but because she's fallen from the disgrace of being a succubus. Which is still a fall from grace in the sense of where the succubus would come in from. Well, yes. It's just kind of cool. But yeah, she's sort, of, she's sort of the moral compass of the party. Except she's nice about it, unlike like the super lawful dudes. Yeah. And then there's the last character who I didn't even see because I was trying to rush out of that stupid prison, but... It's Valor, and he's voiced by Keith David, and that makes me really sad that I didn't find him. Oh, well. Yep. So, Scott, you did find him. Talk about him. Okay, so this is... Um, he, he's part of uh, this cult in this uh, Planescape cult called uh, the Mercy Killers, who, you know, they, they just decide when it's time for you to die. And he is... Re- well, he, he is a suit of armor animated animated by pure cussed willpower basically not even he's not even a ghost his just sense of justice was so strong it kept moving and killing dudes long after he was dead um that's some true dedication yeah and like a few other like a couple other characters he was also abused by a previous incarnation of the nameless one which uh all he did was really uh dump him in a the, the uh, prison in Cursed, and that was so long ago. Valor doesn't even recognize you for doing it. And if you're really good at conversation, so you max your charisma and wisdom, uh, you can actually talk him into dying. <laughs> I think I may have done that. I don't remember. I think my because otherwise he's kind of the so. final boss of the game. <laughs> Unless you didn't get Ignis either, because. In my playthrough, Ignis showed up and was actually a real wimp. I took him out with ease, but he was there. I did have to fight him instead of Valor. Yeah. 
but he's mostly just there to threaten things with death. <laughs> and apparently he doesn't like it if you're not so lawful. Yeah, he's he's super lawful. And and again, I should mention that Planescape runs on as a setting runs on an interesting set of logic where good and evil really not a big deal, but the law chaos and neutrality versus extremism uh, alignment axes are kind of the driving conflicts of the whole thing. Like the big background of this whole uh, game is uh, this long-standing war between the uh, demons and the devils. Evils and the lawful evils. Yeah. And you hear things about this and you probably took part in it in one of in one or many of your previous lives where just billions and billions of evil creatures are warring over how to wage evil on all of the planes. And the, this, this war has been going on for centuries and will probably keep going on for centuries because they cannot come to an agreement. So they just kill each other until... That's how best to be evil. Yeah. Yes, back to the plot. Yeah, I just had a thought and now I don't remember what it was, which... Well, if... if- if we seem to be dwelling upon the plot a lot, that's because this game is very, very plot heavy and very, very dialogue heavy. Um, there is a battle system. It's not that great. <laughs> it, it's the it's the pause and play Bioware engine. Except for not even as good as it was in Baldur's Gate. It's kind of a gimpy version. Yeah, well, they, they tried to simplify it a bit and it didn't quite work out. And they were working with a half finished version of the Infinity engine. Here's how you win easily, even though it takes a long, long time. You send the nameless one out. He does some damage because enemies do not recover anything. He eventually gets killed. Then he revives somewhere. You send him back in. Repeat until you either win or you get really sick of it and send the whole team in to hopefully end things faster. Yes, except that will bite you in the butt in the end game, doesn't it? (laughs) It sort of did, but there is a limit to the number of shadows that show up in the final area. And it's 15, although these things are strong enough that if you face more than a couple at a time and you're not really, really prepared, they will rip you to shreds. And yeah, in the final area is the only part of the game where the Nameless One cannot revive indefinitely. If you die enough there, you lose. Which made me glad I had saved before going in there because, uh, yeah, I did get murdered by the shadows enough to see an end. Not the good end. Yeah. yeah, it's one of the weaknesses of the game is that the first, the the large part of the game um, is in the city of Sigil, and it's um, it's not incredibly linear. It's 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 actually pretty open, and you can do all sorts of things, and you can usually talk your way out of most of the battles, which I tended to do because the dialogue was way more fun than the battle system. But then after a while, you sort of get thrown into this linear series of challenges, and a lot of the time, you have to fight your way out of them. And I never actually completed the game because I got stuck in that linear series of challenges and I did not have the spells necessary to get through a certain kind of enemy and yeah I got frustrated and didn't finish which is kind of sad because I think I was pretty close to the end probably uh, were you I was just past the pillar of skulls yeah that's pretty close to the end yeah and uh okay what's his name Uh, what is the name of that that guy who who Trius made do his bidding for a while and sends you on your way in order to reach the Pillar of Skulls. And the Pillar of Skulls asks you where he is and you tell the Pillar of Skulls so that all these evil things show up 
at his place in order to kill him, and he's really, really angry with you for good reason. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't even. I'm I'm trying to think now. Was it? Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I'm not. I just, I'm not I just, sure. I just remember there are a lot of really tough dudes around the pillars of skulls, and they kept killing me, and I got annoyed. <laughs> yeah, I just sent the nameless one out repeatedly, and hoped that he got through, and eventually he did. Yeah, I guess I didn't think of that. This was back when it came out, so I was not yet an RPG, uh, or I was not yet an Infinity Engine expert at that point. Yeah. After you get out of there, you go back to, okay, what what was the place where uh, Trius has been doing some nasty things? Scott, help me. I can't remember okay, the name. Okay, so Trius, who is a fallen angel who can do the, who is been doing some crazy weird stuff so you leave it's okay you go from pillar of skulls to oh yeah like you you visit the outlands and the pillar of skulls in the pits of hell and then you find out that the secret of your mortality is in the fortress of regrets but in order to reach that you have to first deal with trias yeah which is actually kind of fun. There is some combat, but most of you can make Trius a lot easier by undoing some of the chaos that he's been inciting in this location by, you know, telling people to knock off the slave trade, picking an uh, picking a wagon off of a guy who's about to die, uh, saving some villagers from a bunch of rogue monsters that are killing them, um, stopping a lynch mob from lynching a public official. If you do all of the things available, then Trius becomes much weaker, which is helpful. Because you generally don't want... You're not in this game for the combat. You are in this game for the novel of the that makes up the story. Yeah, like those samples I read earlier. Those, those are representative of the writing quality you're going to get here. It's extremely well written. And I can forgive a lot of the typos because... What is this thing? 900, 1,000 pages worth of text? Probably like more it, than that. It, it is several hundred thousand words. And even more of an encouragement to go around and talk to people is that you get tons of experience by doing it. Far more than you would from combat unless you purposefully sat around and killed everything you could for hours on end, which it's kind of boring, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, you, you want to you pump up your intelligence and wisdom and charisma in this game because the strength and dexterity you can get, whatever, not all that important, especially for the nameless one, but... The uh, the other skills will get you different dialogue options and more advanced dialogue options, and that's where the interesting stuff happens. Yep. And that's also where the luck with the ladies happens. Yeah. <laughs> so after defeating Trias, which, uh, depending on your party makeup, you can actually redeem him, or if you've got Tri or if you've got, um, I think uh, I had Valor. some wisdom at that point, and I was yeah. able to, I was able to convince him. That no matter what he's done, he can still go back to the celestial plane he came from and be forgiven because that's what the plane is all about. And he did that. Yep. But you can't do it unless you have sufficient wisdom. And if you've got, and no matter what you do, if you've got Valor in your party, he's gonna axe him. <laughs> that's just how he rolls. <laughs> Which means that you could, in fact, convince. Trius to go back to the Celestial Plane and promptly have him killed by Valor anyway. Yeah. Double XP. 
But yes, you march your way through the Fortress of Regrets, encountering three of your many previous incarnations. Uh, The practical one, who is kind of the one that caused the most trouble for you now, just by being pragmatic and a lot of crazy things happening. The practical one has the entirely logical attitude that since you are the same, pretty much, why not combine your powers and move on from there? And he is, of course, of the attitude that, well, I'm here, and I don't feel like subsuming myself to you, so I'm going to take you over. And I had high enough wisdom to successfully take him over, but if you don't, then you can get a game over right there, because he will take you over. And he will go over, he will then continue to screw people over in the name of self-advancement. And then there's the paranoid one, the one that left all those crazy rambling messages as you went through the game. And I just killed him. I forgot yeah. to absorb him. <laughs> and then there's this decent guy who was apparently the original one. I didn't get... Th- I just got that he was an incarnation of you who lived quietly, didn't really bother anyone, only... And he was eventually hunted down by the shadows that appear every time you're revived. So I don't think that... That means he can't have been the original one if all of those shadows came after him. No, no, if you talk to him, if you really talk to him and do the right options, you'll find out that he was made immortal and that he really wasn't that nice a guy, that he had done some terrible, terrible stuff and was trying to redeem for, redeem himself for it. But uh, he basically sought... He, he was basically looking for immortality as a shot at redemption. Hmm. Okay, I, I didn't get those options, which... Yeah. And obviously we, that went well. <laughs> yeah. And see, then you find out, uh, you, you, find, you confront your mortality, which is this crazy powerful being. Called the Transcendent One, for good reason. And it's voiced by Tony J, which is awesome, because Tony J had a great voice. If you remember uh, Frollo in Hunchback of Notre Dame, that was not a great movie, but his voice is great. Frollo was the best part of that movie, too. Yeah, I gotta, you gotta wonder what Disney was thinking trying to make that into a kid's movie, but never mind. Well, no, no, I I can tell you exactly what they were thinking. (laughs) Someone showed up with a script that was really, really good, and then Disney was like, wait, this doesn't have all... We we have these rules. We have to have this many stupid sidekicks and this many marketable gimmicks. You have to put those in. And Frollo's song is good, but really, you put the Disney formula to that story, it doesn't work as well as it should. Yeah. And that's... Transcendent one. Transcendent one. And again, the the correct way, the easy way to do this is to have a high enough wisdom to convince the transcendent one through several means to rejoin with you. And you can – I did not try to fight the transcendent one mostly because I knew that he would slaughter me and I probably wouldn't be able to come out of it alive. But you can try and fight him if you want. And apparently he gets stronger as you've been leveling in the game, so there's no way to power level and be able to take him. (laughs) Or you can convince him to rejoin with you through several means, one of which involves uh, if you you went to the Siege Tower in the game, and I think you have to at one point, and get a certain weapon which can kill even something immortal like you, it will only work out here where your mortality, where the rules governing your mortality have changed. But you can threaten him with that, because if you die for real, then so does he. But that wasn't the means I used, and now I can't remember what the means I used was. Scott, 
what other means can you convince the transcendent one to join yourself with? Oh, you you can talk him into it. Like I just remember being able to talk him into just merging the, uh, you know, the the appeals to humanity, humanity and morality from the high end wisdom and high charisma, or you can just beat him up. <laughs> did did you beat him up at one point? I tried. It didn't work <laughs> out. I kind of figured. And yeah, getting to that point involves uh, running around in the fortress for a while, while those shadows are pursuing you, which are dependent upon how many times you died in the game. There's a max of 15 in there, but there can be fewer if you died fewer times during the game. Yes, um, they are made up. They like every time you die and reincarnate, uh, it turns out it kills someone else. And they get to the Fortress of Regrets and they find out about this and they're really annoyed at you. Funny that. Funny that. They're a bit spiteful and trying to yeah, beat the you transcendent up. one actually uses this as his plot to forever keep you from remembering who you are and how to rejoin with him because it suits his purposes. So he just sticks the shadows on you wherever you happen to go so that they keep you busy and he never has to worry about you again. Yep. And then you finally die and the last cutscene is you waking up in the middle of this giant war between demons and devils picking up a mace and wandering into the fray. <laughs> After sending all of your companions back to the plains because the crimes you have committed do not permit them to stay with you any longer. And this is after they've made really heartfelt declarations that they're sticking with you and come what may, and the Transcendent One killed them all off. Yep. It's a cheery uh, game, really. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the original title was Last Rites. <laughs> Probably best they didn't use that because it was also the title of a movie that apparently Roger Ebert thought was the worst of 1988 and anything where Daphne Zuniga is required to play Mexican for real probably wouldn't be that good. Anyway, off track. Other locations of the game, well, the place I just was talking about where Trius has been doing all these nasty things I'm still not remembering what the name of that was, and that's because I didn't go to GameFAQs to look at it because I'm a moron. Scott, do you remember? Uh, Tria, I'm tr- uh, like, I, I can't feel like... Uh, it, was it Curseri? That sounds close. While I'm thinking about it, I'll mention the place where you actually find Trius the first time. He's in a prison underground, and getting there requires you to slaughter a whole bunch of guards in the way. And once you finally reach him and find the guard who can let him out, then you manage to spark a prison riot, which is pretty cool. Especially if you look at it from afar, where you just see a whole bunch of corpses suddenly piling up on the screen because the prisoners are getting slaughtered by the guards. And of course, I can't remember the name of that place. I suck. <laughs> just doing, right when you said I suck, I hear my uh, spouse's copy of uh, Fallout New Vegas going, uh oh. <laughs> serendipity I don't know something weird is going on in the universe tonight Um, and the brothel of intellectual lusts that's an interesting place along with uh, the name of the place where the sensates keep all the the sensations in the orbs what is the name of that place the society of something like I think it's just like the the, the society of sensates I think Again, it's an interesting place, mostly because of the writing, where you go up and touch each of these orbs and experience memories of other people from across the plains. 
and because of the writing, it's it's fun to do. Yep. And you do get to make a whole lot of dialogue choices as you go along, including um, you have some really lengthy conversations with your companions and the way that you talk to them can can really change sort of the experience of the game. Definitely. I I must not have done something right because I never quite got all of the dialogue options for Dakon to come up, which meant that his uh, his awesome blade did not upgrade to the point where it was the destroyer of all things. I was sad. Yeah, I don't think I ever quite got all of his dialogue options. Um, you can, uh, as I said, it doesn't take too much to get Anna to fall in love with you, but fall from grace can also fall for you if you uh, answer her stuff right. And I, I think um, with the Modron, I think uh, you you talk to him and, and he'll get different um, configurations or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, getting, like yeah. as you talk to him, he will he will upgrade. And if you can figure out the entirety of Mort's backstory, he'll he'll get like super awesome. Yeah, and I even found him a pair of new teeth, and then uh, something went wrong. Everybody got killed, and he lost them, and I could never find them again. I that ticked me off. Blah. That that is one thing that sucks. How if anybody but the nameless one dies, and you revive them. They have to pick up everything that was in their inventory again. Ah, the Diablo 1 system of death. Yep. Which involves trying to click on those tiny little item drops. Man, those things can be nitpicky. (laughs) But even when you're just sitting around doing nothing, oftentimes your party members will start talking to each other, and that's usually pretty funny. Uh, I seem to remember Nordum asking Anna, Anna! Does your tail serve a ter- serve the purpose of upgrading your balance? Like, of course it does, you bleeding machine. Yes, that is perfectly logical. <laughs> well, Nodrum kind of has a crush on Anna, but he but he really has no idea how to interact with people. As how would he after he was stuck in that randomly generated maze for years, and you are the first non Modrons he's ever met. <laughs> He just doesn't get it. Poor guy. Poor guy. And let's see. Okay, I should mention it crashed on me a few times. Did it crash on YouTube? I don't remember. It's a little crashy. (laughs) I don't recall having too many crashing problems, but I was playing it on the system that it was originally meant for. Well, let's see. It crashed on me twice when I went to the Siege Tower, so I know it doesn't like that place. And it crashed twice when I went into the Curiosity Shop in the Clerk's Ward, which, of course, you need to go into in order to find that Fiend's Tongue, which you <coughs> slap on uh, EO in the Intellectual Lust Brothel. And it crashed once right as Ravel was about to finish talking. And if you've talked to Ravel, you know that's a long conversation, so... Losing it was not much fun, which made me all the gladder that this thing auto-saves all the time. Still, it only crashed a few times, and I was always eager to jump back into it, so there's that. I think the load times were pretty bad back in the day, but somehow I don't think that's going to be quite the problem now. <laughs> no, and back in the day we were used to that sort of thing. Yeah. I didn't think it was anything... Special, you know, you just pick your nose for a few minutes and then the next scene comes up. 
It, it was sure an improvement over the um, the gold box D and D games where every battle was like a, a two minute loading screen. <laughs> We'd actually once a battle start loading off the floppy disk, and the disk would go, bzz, bzz, and you saw the floppy disk start spinning and stuff. It's a battle is going to begin. You knew you could go and pop in a hot pocket or something, just <laughs> you know, eat the whole thing before the battle loaded up. <laughs> now the good old days. Yeah, these youngins don't know how nice they have it. Actually, this is slightly off topic, but that's how I kind of feel about Clash. I've been playing Clash of Heroes on the PlayStation 3, and it, like, loads every battle, and granted, it's not two minutes, but it does take a good 10 to 15 seconds, and I was thinking to myself, are we past this yet? You know, loading screens before battles, especially in a tactical RPG type of thing where, you know, it's not like we're loading up these big, huge, gorgeous 3D, you know, arenas that are, like, Skyrim in scope. You know, it's just a little head-to-head tactical combat game. <laughs> oh, well. But it was reminding me of the Gold Box days. Well, one thing we haven't touched on, really, is how dirty and disgusting a lot of this game can be. Mostly in the text, but these are some unappealing people you're going to meet. Yes. <laughs> as, if, as if starting off in a mortuary where you're surrounded by corpses, which you can read loving descriptions of the state of decay they're in and then wander around and talk to all the zombies that are busily doing work for the dustmen. The dustmen being a faction that, well, it likes to take corpses, dress them up, and uh, poke at them with, with pointy things. <laughs> which I would probably like to do too, but... And those dustmen are mostly a nasty bunch, especially when you're trying to get out of the mortuary at the beginning, so I was happy to break their necks so that they wouldn't spread the alarm and sick all the people in the entire mortuary on me as enemies and if you have high enough dexterity you can snap their necks rather than having them fight you really i enjoyed that and then I, there's a sorcerer dude who keeps lots of anim- animated skulls around and they tell him secrets and increase his power yes and you have to visit him in the first place just because Mort got snatched by people who apparently were working for him on assignment <laughs> or something and you want your animated skull back, darn it. You do. But you can talk to the other skulls on the shelves and they'll tell you things. <laughs> and if you go down from his place, well, you get to meet cranium rats. Oh, boy, those are fun. Uh-huh. And their big brothers, the were-rats, which apparently are magical, so only magical implements can harm them. Yep. Second edition. Crazy damage reduction rules. <laughs> and of course there are those wonderful moments when you yourself well every time you die you usually have a catchphrase or somebody in your party will have a catchphrase when you wake up I, I particularly liked it when the nameless one said that time and when you wake up in the buried city and are being talked to by uh the crazy nattering hag who is actually a shade of Ravel in some form or another. You can have her dig around in your intestines and find things. And you can also find an old arm of yours and use it as a club. Old-fashioned that way. (laughs) And when you eventually find Ravel again, well, she can also dig around in you, as I recall, and find things. And you get to see in loving text all the details of having somebody's hands poking around inside of you and feeling the the incredible pain that one would naturally associate with having a hand 
with no anesthesia crawling around inside your abdomen to see what's in there. Again, great writing. Yep. And I should mention that the writing is necessary, mostly because the graphics, they're okay, but they're not going to immerse you in the world too much. Well, I think the design is great, but the graphics, not so much. They're pretty much the worst of the Infinity Engine games. Yeah. And there's a lot of sort of brown and orange. Yeah, a lot of the places look pretty similar, and it's a good thing pretty much every character who you can have meaningful dialogue with has a name, because you'd be hard-pressed to tell most of them apart just on appearance. On the other hand, the sound design, especially when you're in various sections of the hive and you hear barkers off in the distance yelling things, Hey, Cutter! I got a bit for the night over you, for you over here! Things like that. It, The sound mix really helps you get immersed in the world. At least it did for me. Well, it's definitely better than, So I kicked him in the head till he was dead, huh? <laughs> Which is Baldur's Gate 1 for those who weren't following yeah. along in previous backtracks. And as Scott mentioned, if you get the game on GOG, you get the full soundtrack with it. And Scott, tell us. Tell us what you get with the full soundtrack of Planescape Torment. Like 12 tracks that are all pretty neat that were basically put together in two weeks. (laughs) Bam! 12. Count them. 12 tracks! Oh, welcome back, Phil. Oh, I've been here. What was that story? Uh, the, The soundtrack was totally dumped right before release and the new composer had almost no time at all to make some new music hurriedly. I remember I finished it. Yeah. Like, uh, the music was, yeah, it was pulled from the producer to take it in a different direction. And then, uh, Mark Morgan ended up creating the final, the final, the final soundtrack, which was quite astounding. Although I kind of wonder what, the original actually ended up sounding the original version was if it hasn't been unearthed yet then that means it may not have found its way online yeah be- i'm sure i'm sure it's out there but the original uh, the original soundtrack was done by a british electronic uh musician by the name of uh, lustmord so it's this so he, he's known for very very dark ambient kind of sounds makes me curious what it would have been like i'm yeah. sure it's out there if we look I'm sure it is on the tubes somewhere. And the soundtrack as it is now, like I said, in most areas of the Hive, ambient dialogue and sound take over so that you hear what you might reasonably hear in a really nasty hovel place with people constantly barking out their wares and trying to get business from you. And it mostly kicks in when you're in the Hive after somebody decides that you're an enemy. You know, those stupid random thugs decide that You've stood around long enough. They're going to fight you. And the battle music is actually pretty good. I liked it. But you hear the rest of the tracks mostly outside of the hive. At least I did. Yeah. Um, one thing you, 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 you've been talking about, uh, the sort of general walla of the, of the sound mix. And, the, and something that you really don't know, you, you still don't often see or hear in video games is that they do it does adjust volumes based on distance so the closer you get to some barkers the louder you'll hear them yeah that's true and it was very impressive even through my cruddy laptop speakers i could hear the difference but yes uh, other elements of the game I'm trying to think 
Well, I already touched on how much of a pain it can be to pick up items. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is after it's, like, um, th- this game actually sort of zooms in from the usual camera viewpoint of the F- Infinity Engine, and it's still a pain to find the tiny items. Yeah, it's pretty pixelated, so kind of takes yeah, you-, you back to those adventure game days when you had to play Hunt the Pixel for some things. <laughs> yeah, especially if... I, I know there's a way to uh, make transparent all the things in the foreground, but I didn't do it very often, so sometimes I would hunt around very, very slowly with mouse cursor to try and find that one thing which is under the archway, and I can't see it. Mike, I have a question for you. So, our our listeners who listen to every single RPG backtrack are well aware of your background in gaming uh, mostly being along the lines of the uh, portable formats and some uh, PlayStation games. So I know you don't make that foray into the PC RPG realm too terribly often. Uh, well, I have to tell you, uh-huh. I didn't own my own computer until 2002, and I was told in no uncertain terms by my mother that I was not to play games on her machine before that. I tried it once, she came after me, not with a hatchet, but it was close. So there you go. That is why I did not have an extensive PC gaming background. Because my mother made it very clear, you do not play games on my machine. <laughs> yeah, my mother was the same way. Um, so, and then she bought me my own, own machine, but it moved at like one-fourth the speed, which was really hilarious. Um, <laughs> playing Oregon Trail on the, on the third-grade Apple computer, which I don't know if you should. Because hmm. I think everyone did that. No, mm-hmm. Canadians played cross-country Canada. We did not have anyone die of dysentery. Instead, you had to take Spumoni ice cream from Winnipeg to Moose Jaw, and maybe you got a flat tire or picked up a hitchhiker on the way. <laughs> Sounds thrilling. So none of, your, none of the people ever died of snakebite or drowning, and you didn't get to slaughter entire forests by just spinning around like a stormtrooper and shooting everything in sight? Nope, you were just a trucker. You trucked things. A truck without a gun. That's, wow. It's it's Canada. Canada has guns. But apparently not in correlation with truckers making long-distance runs. Not so much. No, not usually. But Becky remembers Oregon Trail, I bet. Oh, yeah. I played a version of Oregon Trail that was so old that I had to actually type in pow and bam to shoot the deer. <laughs> so, to get back to the question I was originally <laughs> trying to propose to Mr. Minky. Do you uh, have Oregon Trail memories to share with us, Phil? Yeah. Um, what, uh, you know, in a nutshell, as somebody who's used to playing more console experiences than anything else, what's your overall uh, opinion of this PC experience? I enjoyed it immensely, although the crashing did bother me a little bit every time it happened because I'm not accustomed to games that crash. Uh, the dialogue will get you through a lot of things, and the combat, well, it's basic, but it's not too different from things I've played before. And, yeah, it's pretty non-linear for a long stretch there, but that's fine because the world is such a joy to explore. So... I would say that for somebody with a pretty much console-centric background, this could be an excellent gateway. I, I would actually beg to disagree on that one. Okay. Uh, I can, like, th- this is sort of like, this game is 
kind of the cream of PC RPGs, even even if it hasn't aged that well. And intro- and you hand someone who's never played a PC RPG before this, and that's doing them a disservice because it will forever be compared to this and be found <laughs> wanting. You can't you can't someone you can't hand someone planes a newbie Planescape Torment and say it's all going to be this good from here. <laughs> okay. So, so you're saying that because it's so good, you don't want to give people false hopes. Yeah, like, I'm saying, try a few that are good, but don't expect them to be Planescape good. And, and I mean, you know, so Planescape is, you know, definitely brings a lot of promise to the table, because, I mean, you can do you can do more in this game as far as getting through a lot of situations uh, through ways other than combat, right? Oh yeah, there, what are there? Only two bosses that are mandatory to fight in the game. Yes, and, Almost even, every- and one of those you can talk into being weaker. And I mean, you talked about we talked about how you even talked about how you could talk somebody into killing themselves. I mean, there's just so many options that you can do. There's so many different ways to approach, you know, Planescape Torment. And I think that was really the big thing when I compared it to anything that came out uh, before it is just, you know, it really uh, it really felt like uh, you could take all these different approaches and came kind of close in a, in a way um, to the pen and paper experience where players can do anything that's, you know, that they really want to. They can approach these challenges and encounters in a, in a pen and paper game. Through uh, you know stealth or uh, you know skills or uh, diplomacy or talking or you know talking uh, through things as well as just you know go through and hack and slash, and, and that's a contrast to the typical console game where just about everything, <laughs> well at least older console games I'm sure you know they're different nowadays but you know where everything was pretty much just okay here's your character here's the story and they're going to get through everything by fighting. Um, it, it is you, you, you know you do kind of got a point, Scott, because I think when you look at some of the PC uh, RPGs after that, you kind of presume, well, this is a huge con. When you play Planescape Torment, you're like, uh, and especially if you're coming to it the first time, you're like, okay, this is the huge difference between PC games and console games. This the the ability to to approach all these you know these challenges in so many different ways and not just yeah. And then and then you play later on, you 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 play uh, a future quote unquote uh, PC you know RPGs you know out there and you know even Baldur's Gate 2 or Knights of the Old Republic or anything along those lines and and they're not they're they certainly give you some choices and ways to handle some of the situations but not nearly on the the scale that Planescape Torment does and it can be a bit disappointing well you see apparently they got some feedback that there was too much text in Planescape Torment oh heaven forbid and so since then, nobody's tried to do a game quite as text-heavy. And this, my friends, is why we can't have nice things. Well, that and I think voice acting kind of maybe killed this style of gameplay. Because Fallout 2 had a, was very similar in a lot of ways. And I just do not want to be the, AD direct, the ADR director who has to sit and record 800 options. And then In other words, the writers show up and we realize, we realize there are seven other situations we have to deal with. Record more. <laughs> oh, it's, it's the video game world's version of Video Killed the Radio Star. Yep. Voice acting killed the... The writing star. <laughs> the zany writing star. Well, one thing we didn't address, uh, and it's not a big thing, but uh, the voice samples 
in whenever you're moving around, they're kind of limited, and you're going to hear them a lot. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, and it, and then like Baldur's Gate, you won't be hearing Minsk's, Minsk's hilariousness quite so often to mitigate the fact that you've heard this uh, this go the walk over here quote a dozen times. Hmm. Although the things you hear less often, again, like we said with the voice actors, they're really well done. It's just when you hear the same thing dozens of times, it starts to lose its catch. It. You must gather your party before venturing forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think they. I don't think they actually said that in this game. No. All I can remember is go for the eyes, Boo. Go for the eyes. That's stuck in my head well, forever. You know what? You know what I find hilarious is uh, in Dragon Age One. Whenever you came up to a door to interact with it, it would ask you if you wanted to gather your party and venture forth. Yes. I left once, and then it got boring. You you played uh, all the way through Dragon Age One, Scott. Uh, yes. Okay, so uh, c- just real fast, uh, compare and contrast that as an RPG compared to Planescape Torment. I think. Dragon Age gives you a lot of options to really interact with how the plot goes. I would not say, but as a result of that, the plot is not quite so rich or nuanced. Well, it certainly doesn't have the level of philosophical philosophical depth that Planescape Torment does. Um, Few things do. (laughs) Yeah, few things do. Um... Although it does do a good job of world building, a better job than than most games do. I also played all the way through Dragon Age 1. Um, But I I do think that they, in some ways, it's definitely sort of along those lines in that they wanted to give you a chance to tell your own story. But the question, it doesn't have like this big, like, how can you change the nature of a man question behind it. (laughs) It's got this big, hey, we want to give you an epic story thing yeah, behind and, it. <laughs> see, and that's really and that's really what uh makes Planescape very different right yeah. there is that Planescape centers around this question and this uh, teleological mystery about the primary character whereas the vast vast majority of games are very much external objective oriented. So it's not about who you are so much as what you do and if you're lucky how you do it and in you know the later bioware games who you do who you do (laughs) which was not really a big concern in planescape torment despite the minor romantic themes Uh, yeah you could do people you might have been able to do ravel wouldn't that have been fun yeah not so much she she hints very strongly that she fell in love with you once upon a time and what where it went from there is anyone's guess because you don't remember, and her mind Mercifully. is <laughs> And as for the whole what is the nature of a man question, that that's just fascinating on its own because it turns out you can answer any number of things, and as long as you don't say, I don't have an answer, they'll be fine because what she wanted to know was your answer, not what everyone else apparently gave her, which was the answer they thought she wanted to hear. No, she wants your take, not what other people are guessing that she wants. You can read a lot into that if you want, and I think I just did. Yep. <laughs> mm, okay. Um, and let's do the 60-second wrap-up where each one of you gets to, in 60 seconds or less, give a quick summary to convince 
our listening audience out there why they should rush out and buy Planescape Torment if they don't already own it. And if they do own it, why they should go back and play it again. Unless, of course, you hate the game, in which case you'll want to dissuade them from doing so. Let us start with Miss Bucky Cunningham. Go! My name is not Bucky. Bucky Cunningham, go! I like to say that. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so you definitely... are not Captain America's young assistant? No. Um, <laughs> for one thing, I'm Canadian now. Anyway, um, this is an excellent game. Um, as long as you have a high tolerance for not-so-great dated graphics and you're good with reading lots of text, um, it's definitely one that I think everybody should try. Um, I never completely finished it. Um, you might want to use a fact at certain points to help you make sure that your character is strong enough to survive the sections where you kind of are forced to fight if you're the type of person like me who likes to avoid battle. But other than that, like... It's definitely worth playing. It's it's really like nothing else out there. Okay. Let us move on to... What's his name again? The guy who hates me? Um, Wackamature, go! Alright, the Planescape setting came out, was released in 1994 by TSR. And it wasn't the last thing that company put out, but it was the last good thing that company put out. <laughs> and... It's just full. The setting itself is full of unique ideas, and this game captures that wonderfully. In addition to telling this amazing story full of really interesting characters, and you should do it even if you don't have a tolerance t for text, because you know why? This game is worth tolerating text for. <laughs> and last but never least, Mr. McGee. <clears throat> I'm going to second what both of you said and rephrase it a little. I, anybody who doesn't like text, who plays RPGs, kind of baffles me. Because, especially with the sheer quantity of people out there who profess to want the story above all else, well, you will get an incredible story with this game. One that will keep you riveted to the screen all the time. And there are so many facets and avenues that you can explore in it. And it's just ripe for replay. Even after you've done it five, six times, you'll probably be able to find new major tangents, let alone the minor ones that you haven't explored yet. And really, if that's what you want from an RPG, if you want a tale that you're not going to forget, that's going to stick with you forever, this is it. The, the stuff that makes it a game is passable. It's not great. I wouldn't go into Planescape and immediately start fighting everything and, no, and not talk to anybody, but it does the job. And really, considering the number of people who are able to look past wonky mechanics in the Japanese RPGs out there for the sake of their great stories, whether or not they are, I can't say without getting more specific, but this is the personification of a game where you play it for the story and you are rewarded. Here, here. That's the biggest praise an RPG can get, just about. You know what? <clears throat> I'm sure listening to, to y'all just heat praises on the Planescape Tournament makes every single one of our listeners wish they had that game right now. If they don't, we're going to give them a chance to win their very own gift copy from GOG.com. Well, before we do that, shouldn't you tell them what it would cost if they aren't the lucky winner? I already told everybody earlier. It's nine ninety nine. Are you out of your mind? I don't know. If, if, if you are the kind of person who simply must have a physical copy, what would it run? 
Well, I just know that the GOG version is nine ninety nine. <laughs> I don't know how much people are paying. You told me you, you just said you sold it for like eleven dollars for the physical copy, right? Yeah, but hey, hey, Scott, what was it running for before it went up on GOG? Oh, well, before, before it went up on GOG, a disc copy in any kind of workable condition was at least fifty bucks on eBay. I'd say GOG came along and saved a lot of people some money. Yep. <laughs> so we're going to tell you how you can win a $50 game. <laughs> well, retail value $9.99, but in Mr. Minky's mind, worth every penny of $50. When we come back after these commercials... People, people were paying 50 bucks for it, and they were happy. That should tell you something. Mm. Okay. Now, I'm going to say this. And you're going to let me say this. And you're not going to interrupt me this time, Mr. Minky. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Mr. Minky, yeah. do we have any great forum comments this week on our last show? Not really. We have a couple. <laughs> How rude. Bad <laughs> listeners. Bad. You're not doing your jobs. You're supposed to go and leave thought-provoking comments on the boards. Ombres said that the, those two games were great, and he had a lot of fun finding everything and making the maps. Ah. And he was the only one who commented, because apparently... Apparently, none of the people who ever played Shining in the Darkness felt like saying anything about what we had to say. I can understand Holy Ark because only Saturn owners would have something to say on the subject, and we all know how an exclusive a group that is, but I know that Genesis was owned by a few more people than owned the Saturn, and based on the comments from people a few months ago when I reviewed In the Darkness, I know there are people who played that game. I don't know where they went, though. <laughs> hmm. Well, that's a shame. Well, you know, it is the holiday season. Yeah. Hmm. People are busy yeah. going on Steam to gift each other gifts. That's right. <laughs> or maybe they were all in tryptophan comas. I don't know. Hmm. What about any good retro-style news on the website? I see that Final Fantasy VI arrived on the PSN. We talked about that last show. We told everybody not to get it. Yes, we must. We must stop rewarding Square Enix for porting the same things to everything in existence. Well, not to mention, this is the buggy PS1 version. So unless they've gone and did some major bug fixes, I'd be concerned that it's going to have similar issues. I remember paying a lot of money for those PS1 discs, being all excited, and then it not working right. Dear Evil. Square Enix, make a pretty version of the game so then yeah. I'll finally play it. What's up with that? We never get pretty. I keep refusing to play Final Fantasy VI because I want them to make a pretty version like they did with a bunch of the other early ones. I think there's a bunch of fans doing it. Eh, that'll never ha actually get finished then. <laughs> yeah, true. Ooh, but you yeah, can sure as heck watch the opening now. 20 minutes of Final Fantasy VII redone in the Unreal Engine. <laughs> oh, um, wow. 
The nostalgia it, filter would fit would hit in immediately right now if I had any nostalgia for Final Fantasy VII, and I don't. <laughs> in in other uh, retro style news, we have an interview up with the um, developers of the Legend of Grimrock, um, which is a modernized not about Transformers at all. Disappointed that is Grimrock, not Grimrock. <laughs> um, as as uh, I had to correct the original game page because apparently somebody was thinking Transformers when he made it. Um, but anyway, that's it's um, I, if you've ever keep play- faith after those horrible Michael Bay movies. Sorry, Becky. Anyway, if you've ever- that show had heart and soul. If you've ever played. The um, some of the great uh, dungeon exploration games of old, such as Dungeon Master and Eye of the Holder. Um, this game is a grid-based dungeon exploration game like that, with lots of puzzles and tactical combat. But it's modern and pretty, and we know that I like pretty games, so I approve. Thumbs up. <laughs> cool. Hey, wheels just. Twittered that uh, apparently Famitsu gave Unlimited Saga a 31 out of 40 back in the day. Ew. Well, that's not good. <laughs> Considering we were just bragging about how Final Fantasy 13 2 or whatever it is got a 40. Guess yep. that means that's not very awesome after all. Well, but compared to, to how they were in the old days, Famitsu gives out 40s out of 40s like candy. I mean, they don't actually, but compared to how many they used to give out. I think they're not as tough as they used to be. Yeah, Mac just tweeted that there have been as many 40 out of 40s in the last three years as in the 10 years before that. Okay. Hmm. Something changed in the intervening years. What was it? Editors. Editors. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Um, and I, I think we, we did talk about Vanguard Bandits last show, right? But I don't remember if we actually said it, it is up on the PS Network, or if we just talked about it eventually going up. I think it was just eventually. Yeah. You got, you got Anna off on a tangent about it, and she knew quite a bit about the game. Mm-hmm. All right. So go back and listen to our last podcast if you want to know more about the classic Vanguard, uh, the PlayStation 1 classic Vanguard Bandits. Anna can tell you all about it. Uh, but that is up there, and it's available, and... It's I don't know what the price is off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's pretty darn cheap since it's a retro PS1 release. And that also means it'll probably work on your PSP. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Another RPG on the go for the PSP. I've been enjoying my PSP as a kind of a portable RPG device lately. All right. Other news. Um, I should mention that I did mention the box set of Infinity Engine games. Atari is also releasing a box set of Neverwinter Nights 1 and 2 with all the assorted DLCs for that in a box. Also 20 bucks. There you go. Mm, I'm trying to remember. I've got Neverwinter Nights 2. I, and I've got Neverwinter Nights 3 through Steam. But I think Neverwinter Nights 1. I'm trying to think. I got that one on GOG. So for some reason, yeah, because they, I guess they had an issue with rights. GOG has Neverwinter Nights 1. Steam has Neverwinter Nights 2. So if you want the electronic version. So you can either get the Dix version altogether or you have to go to two different distributors if you want it electronically. And those those are pretty decent games. Especially if you're into the whole uh you know third edition uh D and D type thing. Well so. they're games where the original campaign that came with both games was not all that hot, but both of them had expansions that were quite excellent. Um Tales of the Underdark or something, was that the name of the really good one for Neverwinter Nights One? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, it was I Tales of the Underdark. Tales of the Underdark and Mask of the Betrayer for Hordes Hordes of the Underdark. Hordes of the Underdark. And Shadows of 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 Undertide. Yeah. That one's not that good. And Kingmaker. Yeah, it was it was Hordes of the Underdark that was supposed to be really good for Neverwinter Nights one and Mask of the Betrayer for Neverwinter Nights two. Well that's you know, I just kinda put that uh, together off on a tangent here. Kingmaker. That's uh, that's the uh, Pathfinder. There's a Pathfinder uh, adventure path called Kingmaker. Where well, Kingmaker is a common phrase in game theory. I know, it's, but it's just cool. Where an, it's where a an nice... agent within a game scenario has no power to actually win, but a power to decide who wins. Yeah, but in Pathfinder, you can actually become the king, and you will run the country almost uh, almost a little not a civilization style. Uh, there's RP stuff as far as running the country, as far as dealing with dissidents and uh, fending off the occasional dragon or whatever else might be trying to attack your kingdom and whatnot. But you're actually the you actually are the king, or uh, and your party and or your party members are like commanders or spies or there's all these different positions in the kingdom that you can that you can fill. And that, my friends, is why pen and paper. That style of game, but better houses of uh, no uh, blood and honor, blood and honor by John Wick. Yeah, and that's why pen and paper will always rule because you can do all these weird, funky things that are outside the box, uh, including running your own country. Cool. Anywho, um, we digress. Hmm. Okay. So contest. All right, because everybody wants their own very own copy of Planescape Torment and um, on Gog and. Yeah. So, to get your very own gifted copy of Planescape Torment, what I would like for you to do is to try out this new Google voicemail thing I have set up. It's um, I'll give the phone number in just a minute. And just talk about a... Give me like a one or two minute voice review on... Hopefully the voicemail goes that long. I guess it's a good way to test it. On your favorite um, RPG. Yeah. Old RPG. Yeah, talk about your memory or something. I don't care. Make it up. <laughs> We're not very picky here at RPG Backtrack. Um, make sure... If favorite RPG is something like Unlimited Saga or Beyond the Beyond, we will be very interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Or what are we talking about next week, Minky? Hmm. Actually, I think it's something that both Becky and Scott and you know something quite a bit about. It's it's a certain side tangent that the Final Fantasy series went on to, and uh, even though it had a pretty lousy translation, lots and lots of people loved it on the PlayStation, and then it had a couple of... Wait, a poorly translated PS1 game that was popular? Get out! Get out of town! Scott, I must inform you, in fact, that this rarefied occurrence did happen. Don't ask me My how. Goodness. It is. The PS1, the PS1 RPG fans, that they are such a discerning bunch. How could this, this be? It's true. Clearly, they attempted to look beyond this translation, which apparently was put together by 7th graders who had never written anything before, and they seem to have found something worthwhile. And then, of course, there were a couple of portable sequels to it, which, well, I liked them. A lot of people did. I liked them. At least if we're th- talking about what I think we're talking about. Cause I, I was think there. we are. Okay. As you notice, Mike never likes to say the name of any of the games, you know, anywhere. <laughs> Phil, 
am I am I correct if I say this is the way? I think you are indeed correct. Excellent. So, oh, so that's a better idea. All right. So, since I know everyone's played Final Fantasy Tactics, um, write in right now. No, call in. Call in. Yes, call in at eight zero one. Four one zero zero five three four. I'll repeat that again uh, in just a moment and tell us about Final Fantasy Tactics and why you love it, why you hate it, and stuff. Leave me a voice message. You'll probably also want to mention your email address either on the voicemail or better yet, you can always just shoot me off an email, jcservantrpgamer.com, um, because sometimes it can be hard to understand the, you know, some of the spellings on that when you're just doing it over the voice so that I know who to send the gift thingy to because it works on email addresses. At GOG.com. Yay! And if you do a good voicemail and I like yours the most, or you're the only one, which could possibly happen, then you will win Planescape Torment from GOG.com. Right, so what's that number again? That Phil? number again is 801-410-0534. And it'll just do the whole robot, you have reached Google Voicemail, leave your name. I haven't figured out how to set up my own personal greeting yet, so... Don't worry about that whole thing. As long as you get the number it's, correct, you're all good to go. Phil, I have to tell you that your number has too many zeros and ones in it to spell anything interesting. You know, it actually spells RPG in there somewhere, I think. Because when I'm setting no, up the number, it's it says... No, one i 100 kegs. You know... <laughs> yeah, I tried to do, you know, backtrack, but that was too many letters, and it wasn't available in the 801 area code, and yeah. Anywho... Uh, hmm. Oh, time for plugs. Mr. Scott, do you have anything you'd like to plug to our vast audience this evening? Uh, I'm just going to uh, ask you all to dig up an interview I did with Mr. Alex Flagg of Crafty Games, where we talked about the um, now finally released uh, Mistborn adventure game, which is an RPG set in a bunch of novels by Brandon Sanderson. Which makes, which is awesome just for doing that alone. Hmm, I'd be interested to hear how well that that translates. I have read the first book. I'm on the second. Good book. I'd be interested to hear how that how well that really translates to a pen and paper. Well, Brandon's a gamer, so he kind of wrote the settings written very gamerly already. And I've I've been flipping through the quick the quick start rules, and they seem to work pretty well. I've not dug into. Uh, I'm kind of waiting. I'm. I'm really hoping for a supplement where they really dig into uh, characters with multiple magical backgrounds. Interesting. Just to see those two. Just to see how all the different systems interact. Miss Becky. Well, I already plugged our Legend of Grimrock um, interview. Um, we also did an interesting news bit today. There is a South Park RPG that's coming out being developed by Obsidian, of all people. Um, Obsidian, with- which most of the team of which made Planescape Torment. Torment. Yes, indeed. Um, and, Full circle. Uh, yes, although this one I suspect will not deal with quite as heavy topics as Planescape Torment, it being South Park. But what's special about it... Traders will be there to, as villains of some kind. Yes. Um, what's special about it is that it's the first South Park-themed game um, in which um, the two creators 
Stone. Parker and Stone. Yeah. Parker and Stone. Thank you. I had their names in my head a second ago. Um, actually, are writing the dialogue and doing the voice acting for it, so they're heavily involved. And apparently, um, Parker in particular is an RPG geek, so they decided that the only proper um, game format for a South Park game was an RPG, which I think is awesome. Um, so I, I'm definitely looking forward to picking that up because it sounds like um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It has to be better than all the cruddy South Park games that came out when the show was new, right? Well, those are just licensed cash-ins that Parker and Stone had nothing to do with, so yeah. <laughs> well, that means it has to be better than them. Yes. yes. It has to be. <laughs> hmm. has to be. Not that I played any of them because I wasn't that crazy. But you, Mr. Minky? Well, let's see. Hey, can we, can I get a, a a concurrence from everybody here who that anyone who hasn't seen the Muppets should go do it? Go well, see yeah. the Muppets. 80s robot alone makes this <laughs> worth the price of admission. <laughs> if you do, if you don't do it, then we'll have to travel by map and make sure you do it. And we'll strap the fart shoes on you and make you walk to the theater. <laughs> And let's see, other than that, um, I reviewed Fossil Fighters Champions, and what we learned from it is that Tendo is absolutely terrible at marketing things, or else more people would have commented on my review, because apparently Fossil Fighters, even though it has the awesome concept of you reviving dinosaurs and fighting with them, has not <laughs> struck the masses something to buy. It's like, got the it, word fossils in it, old decrepit see, bones that are falling like, apart. And this is a game that you could basically mar- that essentially markets itself once you get the word out the right way. Because there is not an eight-year-old alive who does not want to play Pokemon, but with dinosaurs. Well, see, I think that's the the problem is that I, I do think Fossil Fighters is relatively popular with the eight-year-old crowd. However, that crowd is not exactly represented in our readership demographic. <laughs> Nor do we necessarily want it. Or it's not letting anyone under or thirteen on. <laughs> yeah, and for anybody who's on the fence about it, I can tell you it's a pretty good game. It's not great, but I enjoyed myself both the first one and the second. And uh, really. If you're worried that it's just a terrible game and should never have been made, don't be. Sir, not being a, a great Pokemon vet the way you two are, I can't speak to a comparison between them, but it certainly satisfied me. <laughs> Until the plot got really, really silly at the end with, I wrote that it was an M. Night Shyamalan-worthy twist at the end, and it really is. That tells now, you. Are we at. talking good M. Night Shyamalan or bad M. Night Shyamalan? Because those are two different guys. It's no end. We're talking bad. Oh, and by the way, I found The Sixth Sense quite boring, which is why I'm glad for the riff tracks of it. <laughs> Ooh, and I've got like three plugs, four plugs, so I'll try to make it really fast, but... Um, so speaking of Rift Tracks, we're always plugging Rift Tracks, but they came out with a new player, which allows you to play the DVD in your computer with the MP3 at the same time, which is, and with individual volume controls on each. The MP3 is, as I mentioned in the past shows, is you basically, when you go to Rift Traps, you're buying an MP3 of the guys from Mystery Science Theater 3000, basically riffing or joking on the movies while you're watching it. Part of the, it's not a big challenge, but part of the challenge of going and actually playing these is you got to play 
played the MP3 at the same time of the movie. They usually uh, make you, you usually make this work because at the beginning when you play the MP3, they're like start the movie. They they warn you that they said we're going to have you start the movie and you're going to hear this and da 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 da. It's a little and bit he, of a setup process, but I can the right point. Yeah, and I can see it being a little bit of a hurdle to people who are really busy and aren't technically inclined and don't want to go through all those steps. So with or their... you're drinking it while – or you're watching it while drinking and you have to pause to get – go pee and get <laughs> oh, more beer. And they have to pause two things. operation to simultaneously pause both. Yeah, and that's hey, a – that's especially second watched, beer in. Second beer in. We successfully in. <laughs> watched the Twilight Rift tracks last New Year's Eve, so. <laughs> so, but now you can – What did you think of them, Becky? I I certainly wouldn't watch Twilight any other way. (laughs) That's right. Don't watch Twilight any other way. So now – but now with the player uh, using a computer or laptop, uh, you can play – it will play in both synchronized automatically. If they ever get out of sync, you hit a little magic button. It syncs right back up, and it's really cool because it lets you set the volumes for each. So if if the movie's coming in too loud or too low or whatever have you, you can adjust accordingly. So um, I haven't had a chance to to work with it yet. I just saw the email, but I'm excited about that. I'm going to give that a a try with one of my movies hopefully real soon here. Uh, Let's see here. Try it with the Highlander one. (laughs) (laughs) Just just how many can there be again? (laughs) How many can there be? (laughs) Speaking of riff tracks... I deserve, I deserve hazard pay because I watched. Yes, it was with Rift Tracks, but I watched all three Transformers movies in one day. <laughs> Even with the Rift Tracks, that is some pain. That's why did you do that? Because they were the Rift Tracks. <laughs> yeah, but and, you have and, more and, time oh, than just one day. I hope. <laughs> uh, well. I think it's because I've watched the Rift Tracks enough that I no longer have the visceral reaction of sheer hatred that makes me want to murder Shia LaBeouf multiple times. Now I just accept that he's terrible and he will never be anybody I ever want to watch do anything. And I can accept that rather than wanting to stab him repeatedly and rip his head off and throw it into a garbage can and crush it and then take his body parts and cut them up and douse them with Quicksilver and throw them into separate bathtubs in separate countries, part of the world so that his genes will never again taint the gene pool of the planet at large. In order oh, to Mike, tell us what you really think of him. <laughs> I apologize if my stance was ambiguous, but again, again, maybe it's the Michael Bay direction that I'm finding so objectionable. Maybe I just like to have shots that are, that show the ability to stand still for more than, a tenth of a second. Am I old-fashioned in that? Yes, you're horribly old-fashioned. Is it just me that I like to have dialogue, which isn't something like... Okay, now we've scared off 50% of our two listening member audience members. I just recreated a very large extent of the movies, and everyone who has seen them knows it. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. You feel better? I think I do. Okay. I haven't exercised all the demons that have come upon me as a result of those movies, but I'm getting closer. One day. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, let's see here. I haven't had a lot, you know, I haven't had really a lot of uh, dedicated uh, gaming time uh, for a little bit now, aside from the uh, Pathfinder groups that I do. Um, so I've been playing shorter, shorter games here and there as I get time. So I've been doing some StarCraft II runs, and if you're playing StarCraft II, by all means, shoot me off an email or 
add me as a friend or something along those lines. Love to play with you. And uh, let's see. And I've been playing Mortal Kombat. That's how desperate I've been getting. Which one? <laughs> the, Mortal the, Kombat. Well, it's really cool. I'm glad you asked because I'm playing Mortal Kombat on a PlayStation 3. I got on Amazon Super Sale for like 30 bucks or something. And that's the newer one. And what's really cool is that when you play the story mode, it actually is going through the story of – I'm going to guess the trilogy because it started off with Mortal Kombat 1 with the original, you know, those characters who were in that, you know, setting. And I remember playing Mortal Kombat 1 on the Game Gear, and there's a little bit of a story that was in the instruction book. So it's really cool seeing it kind of acted out. You um, chose the Game Gear version. When I Back in the day, yeah, I didn't have a Genesis, so the only way I could play Mortal Kombat was on my Game oh, Gear. Okay. Oh, right, because the Super Nintendo one was the censored one. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was no choice. There was no real choice when it came to Mortal Kombat. Yeah. <laughs> Genesis, or you were shoveling quarters into a machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I didn't play re- the sucky Nintendo version. <laughs> I remember when Mortal Kombat was the big controversial game. Yeah. Back back before the days of Rockstar. Yeah, now when I, when I do... Well, a... it's not even Rockstar anymore, man. What was the last controversial thing they did? Oh, yeah. It's been a while since they did something controversial. Though I have to admit, uh, it did get my wife's attention when she was walking by. I was playing Grand Theft Auto. I think it was the, the expansion. And it had a full frontal nudity of a guy. That, that got her for a few seconds. But apparently that's no longer a controversy. Otherwise, I would have seen it in the news first. So, And yet somehow Saints Row the Third prominently features six-foot-long dildos and doesn't get any attention. No attention. Oh, the state God. of society in, <laughs> the, in, the, in 2011. Crazy. Oh, but anyways, I, I kind of find the uh, story on that a little interesting. The only frustrating thing is the two-on-one battles where for some reason I'm always the one fighting the two, and that's no fun. So, anywho, um, I think that's it, yeah? Hmm. Anything I'm forgetting? No? Yes, maybe? Sometimes? Uh, Breaking Dawn Part 1 was the number one movie for a third week in a row. Ow. <laughs> uh, I got something better than that. Our... <laughs> oh, no. Speaking of box office scores, you should totally go to Backseat Producers and play the Backseat Box Office game. Yes, wherein you try and guess what the top five movies will do, will be over the weekend, and receive points that do nothing. <laughs> points that do nothing? Tell me more! It's just like your gamer score. Yes. Serious business, yo. Oh, man. So, and now I'm just checking the, the scoreboard, and I got bumped from fifth to sixth. Curse this new person. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that just leaves us one thing. With one thing something um well i thank the three of you and i thank our audience for listening to us because they're the reason we do this i think <laughs> so rate us on itunes ding nabbit and tell us how great we are rpg backtrack is a production of rp gamer your source for rpg news impressions reviews articles and home to the best gaming community on the net Write your questions and comments on our boards or email gcservantrpgamer. Help shape our future shows. Or give me a call at 801-410-0534. <laughs> That's 801-I-100-Cakes. <laughs> 
Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer. Oh, by the way, I've got a new handle on there, jcsgamer, so feel free to add me as a friend and send me text messages. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show, RPGcast, at rpgamer.com. Mr. Minky, put us to bed. So there's a policeman in your way. Most people would be screwed due to that stolen stuff right on their person, but the nameless one with high enough wisdom can convince the officer to give up and walk away because that officer has failed at so many criminals and catching them. Planescape is just full of things like that, and you'd have to be a real grouch not to find it great. <laughs>